You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Go ahead and stand, and we'll read these verses. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 7, and uh, we're, we're continuing then on some of our thoughts on our theme, Love Works, and John really deals with love a lot, and so uh, this, these verses really seem like a natural place to go. Uh, it says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. That's a pretty bold statement from John there. If you don't have love, the conclusion is you know not God. And, and that's, a, that's a heavy statement and one that we need to take, take a note of here. Verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love... Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And uh, we'll stop our reading right there. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. One thing that I've been reminded of as we've gone through this series on love works said. Gone, as I've gone back through the book of 1 John a few years ago, I, I preached uh, out of 1 John. And, and I was, I've been reminded how he repeats certain themes. And it's, it's a little bit like raising children. You ever find yourself repeating the same things over and over with your kids? I mean, what are some of the things that you repeat while you're raising children? You can give me some. That's okay. It can be interactive. Chew with your mouth closed. Chew with your mouth closed. Yeah, spoken from... By a guy that owns a restaurant, yes? So, chew with your mouth closed, Miss Deanna. What is it? Eat, yep. Some kids have that issue, probably some don't. Um, but eat, yeah, eat your food, yeah. What else? Brother John. If you're not using, we just, had, we just had that conversation this afternoon, actually, at our house. What else? I saw, yes, Jackie. Clean up your messes. She said, please, even. That doesn't, please doesn't always get inserted at our house, by the way. Yes. Don't touch each other, right. Especially if you're on a, on a trip, a long trip, and it's like there's a, an invisible line. Don't touch, don't cross the line, right? What else, what else do you, you repeat over and over? Tie your shoes, that's right, right? I mean, it, depending on how old they are, shave, I mean, stuff like that. You know, uh, pay your rent, right? Those kinds of things. No, I mean, we, we have those things. Make your bed. How about that one? Clean your room. How about that one? Uh, be kind to your siblings. Practice your piano. Pick up your Legos. That's a personal one for me. Um, you know, those lessons seem endless sometimes. But as I thought about those tonight, even as I was preparing for this, I thought if there, if there was one lesson we could teach our children that would take care of the rest of them, it would be this, love. 
I mean, if a child learns to love his siblings, that takes care of a lot of those issues that they have with their siblings. If a child is reminded to love their parents, then it takes care of a lot of the things that a child might be tempted to disobey because they love their parents. And in many ways, that's what John in this letter is, is dealing with over and over. He deals with the subject of love. And I was the historian Jerome wrote, uh, the blessed John, the evangelist, lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church and he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but little children love one another. And the disciples and brothers in attendance, um, and this is from his perspective, annoyed because they always heard the same words, finally said, teacher, why do you always say this? He replied with a line worthy of John, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. And I love the way that he describes it because it's true. I mean, even Jesus Christ said, uh, love God, love your neighbor. On, on this commandment, basically, hangs all the law and the prophets. I mean, love is the, it's the pinnacle of the Christian life. It is what all of us should be focusing on. If we love as we should, then we will, it will take care of so many things that, that we're dealing with in our lives. And yet, sometimes it feels repetitive, especially over the last couple of months. I mean, I've dealt with it probably, I think this is the eighth time in the last couple of months that we've dealt with uh, Love Works. And, and I'm thinking, even I'm thinking, well, I, I, should I deal with this again? Should I keep coming back to this? Well, I think we should because John did, and that's a pretty good reason too. There's a couple of reasons I was thinking of why to keep coming back. Number one, it is the defining Christian characteristic. We can bear all the marks of a Christian. We can do things that even appear loving, but if we don't give evidence of love, that's a serious indictment. And, and so even John says, if you don't love, then the conclusion can be made that you know not the Father. And that's a, that's a big deal. But another reason that I think we ought to keep coming back to this is because it's not easy. I mean, it's not automatic, is it? It's not something that just happens. And the things that we need the most help with are what need to be repeated the most. Uh, and th those are the lessons that we repeat with our children. The things that are imp most important to us are the things that we repeat the most with them, that they need the most help with. And even though it's true that genuinely knowing God results in love, it doesn't mean it's easy. If we know God, the fruit of love will show up in our lives. It's inevitable. But just because it's inevitable does not mean it's automatic. I mean, being inevitable and being automatic are not the same thing. And as a matter of fact, as important as it is, we have to make a choice. We make the choice to allow God's love to, throw, to flow through us and that's what John is getting to over and over again in his letter. He's telling us, you have to make the choice to let God's love show through you. And if we don't, it's a matter of disobedience. So we bring these things up, not because I, I, am, I think you're not getting it, but because I think we're not getting it all the time. But not, not just us. I mean, everybody. Any child of God who's ever been 
uh, in a church and trying to grow needs lessons on love probably more than they realize. And the first thing that, I, that we see here is that the source of love is God. Look at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And without God, there would be no love. God is love. He is the source of love. Now, our culture will try to convince you that love is everywhere. Uh, have you ever noticed how the word love is just thrown around? All, I mean, v- very flippantly, isn't it? it? People say, I love pizza. I mean, how many of you would say, I love pizza? Okay, all right. Um, I, I love puppies. How many of you love puppies? Okay, all right. Um, how many of you would say, I love uh, coffee? Okay, all right. There's more hands. Yep, right. I love, you know, you, I love whatever. You, you come, I love Christmas, okay? How many of you love Christmas? I do, I do too. Um, that's not the love John's talking about, though. And when he talks about love, he's not talking about uh, your, the feeling you have for puppies, okay? I mean, it's just funny to say that. I love puppies. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't love puppies. I was, anyway, whatever. So, um, you know, John's talking about agape love. And that's not I love puppies, that's not I love coffee, and that's not I love uh, pizza. Uh, you know, we've already covered agape love, but just as a reminder, that's God's version of love. It's sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's an action, and this love keeps loving in what we talked about a few weeks ago. It keeps loving even when the object is unresponsive or unkind or unlovable or unworthy. Uh, agape love keeps loving even if there's no return love. It's supernatural in that it's given to us by God. And if you think about it, love wasn't created. Agape love wasn't created. No, it exists eternally because God exists eternally. And it's a characteristic of God himself. God is love. Therefore, it's an eternal trait. It's supernatural. It comes from only God. And that is different than the love that our culture talks about all the time. You know, our love talks about, our culture talks about love like it's a mushy, syrupy, sentimental feeling that you have towards something or someone. Uh, our culture says they might say love is an emotion that you feel towards something or you feel around certain people. Uh, they would say that, some would say that love is a physical act between people. That's what our culture says love is. Love, they'll say love is whatever you want it to be. Love is with whomever you choose for it to be. That's the way that our culture defines love now. And it means everything and it means nothing all at the same time. It's been redefined to reflect individual preferences. And, but whatever the world's definition of love is, it's a far cry from agape love. It's not at all what God is talking about, what John is talking about. Somebody defined love this way. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. I'm going to say that again just so you get its wordy. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. So I hope that you can, you can see the contrast. 
There's a stark contrast between what, between what the culture says is love and between biblical love. The culture's love is self-focused. Culture's love is how I feel. The culture's, the culture's love is what it does for me or how it benefits me. But biblical love is how can I do what's best for the object that I'm loving? You know, biblical love's not about my feelings. Biblical love is not how I get to define it. It supersedes my take on love, and it becomes about the good of the one that I'm loving. True, biblical, selfless, sacrificial, agape love is part of God's nature. False, selfish, undefinable love of the world does not reflect agape, God's love. You know what's amazing is that God loved us with agape love. I mean, it, blo- it blows my mind. Verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us, and, and I know you know this, but every once in a while, it's good for us just to talk about it. God loved us so much that, that he sent his son to die on a cross. And you say, we're a Wednesday night crowd. We know these things. No, we need to be reminded of these things. That Jesus Christ died in our place, and our sin should have placed us there. But instead, God sent Jesus to die and take upon him the penalty of our sins and die on that cross. Propitiation means to satisfy God's justice and wrath toward our sin. So God is a holy God who can't be in the presence of sin due to his pure nature. And he's also, though, at the same time, he is just, which means he has to deal with sin. So he was full of wrath toward our sins because he's holy. And, and he wasn't full of wrath uh, toward uh, the sinner. He doesn't hate us. No, his wrath was toward our sin due to his holiness. See, God's love doesn't just ignore our sin and move on because his holiness and justice requires something to be done about sin. And he would have been compromising if he had simply looked past our sin and moved on. But love moved God to send his own son to bear the penalty that we deserve to pay. Love prompted God to sacrifice his own son to die for sinners. Jesus Christ was the object of his father's wrath because, our, because he was bearing our sins in his body on that tree. Listen, that is love. Agape love. Self-sacrificing, unconditional, doesn't matter if the object is, is worthy or not. That's the kind of love that God loved us with. And he wasn't looking at love as a way to express himself. He wasn't looking at love as a way to, to really gain a lot. Necessarily, he was doing it for our good. He, did, he didn't choose the method of love that made him happiest. I mean, that's what the culture does, right? Says, they say, well, how can I, I'm going to love in a way that makes me happiest. That's not the way God did it. No, his love drove him to look beyond our needs and, and look beyond the costs and look beyond the boundaries of what's normal and say, no, I will benefit the object of those that I'm loving. That's biblical love. And as I thought about biblical love, I, I, and I've, I've preached this thought before, but it's been a few years, and I think we, I, I probably need to talk about it more often, but I was thinking about love 
in, in a biblical form and I was comparing it to the world's definition of love and what came to my mind is this word, tolerance. See, tolerance is the word of the hour, isn't it? Tolerance means that we accept people for who they are and you know how that works in our culture. I mean, whatever you want, whatever you define yourself as, you be you, we will embrace your choices. And it seems like tolerance has become the highest virtue, really, in a lot of ways. The worst thing now is to be intolerant. Um, unless uh, you're conservative, then you, know, you can be as intolerant toward conservatives as you want to be, by the way. I mean, that's like the one exception to the rule, isn't it? I mean, we're tolerant of everybody, except you're in the, unless you're in this category. But tolerance has a fault that needs to be addressed, though. See, tolerance implies that you put up with something. It, it, it means that you just accept something rather than address something. And tolerance is, at its core, what I would call an ostrich virtue. Meaning, the world claims tolerance is the most important thing, but its very definition means that you're not dealing with something. You're, you're, you're burying your head in the sand and refusing to actually deal with the issue at hand. It's just allowing whatever is happening to happen. And while love, so think about the difference. While love seeks what's best for somebody else, tolerance accepts them where they are without any concern for change. But I would submit to you, though, that it is the inferior virtue because it ignores someone's best by accepting what they already are. And so you tell me then, and so, I mean, I've used some of these before, but uh, they get the point across. You tell me if you'd prefer tolerance or love. Okay, remember, tolerance accepts you where you are without any uh, requirement of change. Love, though, says, I will do what's best for you in a certain situation. So, so tell me, would you rather have tolerance or love in these examples? Okay, your, your wife, okay, men, your wife, you're out to eat with some people and your wife has a big green chunk of food in her teeth after lunch. Say, man, this really got practical, didn't it? <laughs> you know what love says? Love says, um, honey, I don't want you to be embarrassed. So I'm going to let you know, um, you, there's a piece of food the size of Harrisburg in your, in your teeth. Okay? Tolerance says, I love my wife the way she is. And I accept her and I value her mistakes. So I'm not saying anything. And so tolerance leads to the couch, by the way, guys. Uh, do you see the difference? Love says, no, I, yeah, I, I love her, but I want what's best for her, so I'm going to say something. Tolerance says, no, I accept her where she is, and I'm not going to say anything. I'll just, you know, receive her as she is, and everything, you know, will be fine until we get home and she looks in the mirror, okay? Um, here's another example. Your child runs into the street for a ball, and a car is coming down the road. Love says, stop! Stop! There's a car! That's what love does because you love that child. Tolerance says, I really want them to express themselves how they want. If playing in the street is how my child expresses themselves, I have to accept them where they are. Now, you see how silly that is? 
Because love, we know love wants what's best for the child. What's best for the child is to not get hit in the street. But tolerance would say, well, I accept you where you are. You see how inconsistent it is. Uh, a doctor, maybe here's another example. A doctor sees something concerning in a scan or in an MRI or an x-ray. Love says, we need to explore this because it could be dangerous and it may allow us to catch it in time. And some of you have been there before. A scan showed something. The doctor found it in time. Aren't you thankful that they loved enough to say, I want what's best? No, well, tolerance would say, no, here's a hug. I accept you for who you are. You can leave. I mean, what, why? I mean a doctor would not be doing his job if that was his attitude toward you. Uh, your brother in Christ is about to make an unbiblical decision. And it could affect his spiritual life. Love says we need to talk. I think you can make a better decision. Tolerance says, who am I to judge? I love my brother. I'm supposed to love him for who he is. And I'm just going to respect his decision. But can you imagine if you were the one about to make that decision and people knew it wasn't a good decision, but they didn't say anything to you? Aren't you thankful for people in your life at times that intervene, that cross your path? And say, no, I love you too much to allow you to keep going this direction. I hope you see the point tonight. There's all kinds of applications, but you can make your own applications. The, the idea of tolerance makes little sense in those situations. Tolerance accepts someone's present condition without pursuing change. But love sees the present condition and can't help but act to try to change it. I mean, consider what it looks like in this passage. I mean, again, I'm going to read verse 9 and 10 again. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's two obvious reasons why God sent his son according to these verses. In verse 9, that we might live through him. And in verse 10, that Jesus would be the propitiation. That he would satisfy the justice and wrath for our sins. So think about it. God sent Jesus so we could live through him. And he could be a satisfactory payment for our sins. That means that we were dead. And we owed a debt. I mean, that's the only reason. The only reason that you would send somebody to die for somebody else so they could live is because they're dead or they're going to die. And the only reason you would send a satisfactory payment, propitiation, the only reason you do that is because they owed a debt that they couldn't pay. So we know, based on what God did for us, that we were dead in our sins and we owed a debt that we could not pay. And, and he said, no, I want them to live and I want, them, uh, to, I want their debt to be paid. I want their sins to be paid for. I want them to live. I want a relationship with them. So here's Jesus. See, God saw us in our need and he said, I can help them be different than what they are. They don't have to stay on the path to destruction. They, God saw that need and, and he said, no, I love them too much to allow them to continue to stay on that path. And he had a willingness to do what it takes for our good. See, tolerance would have said, that's who you are. You're dead. That's your choice. You, you do you. 
just do your thing and be your most authentic self. You hear that a lot, don't you? You know, and, and what that does is if that impacts your sexuality, so be it. Be your most authentic self. But we know that according to God's word, he has a plan for human sexuality. It's one man and one woman for life. And, and I'm not saying that as a hot button. I'm saying that if we follow his plans for sexuality, then we don't put ourselves in a position to be destroyed. And so it's, it's not just about meeting a mold. It's about putting ourselves in a position for God to bless our lives. So for us to just say, hey, just you do you, and to be tolerant of someone's position is basically to say, I don't really care about how it ends for you. If, God, if this was God's mentality, he would have just seen us in our condition and left us there. And I hope you see the difference. Tolerance is promoted. It's the highest virtue. And, but really, biblical love is more virtuous. It's more selfless. It's less willing to simply follow, allow somebody to stay in a position that could hurt them or hinder them or destroy them or cause them to miss out on what's best for their life. This is why love is greater than tolerance. See, love and tolerance both. both and and I, this is a mentality that we all need to interact with people with. Love and tolerance both accept people where they are, but love refuses to let them stay there. Love and tolerance both accept people where they are, but love refuses to let them stay there. God saw us in our sin and he could have said, I accept them. But because of the presence of sin, we would have died and gone to hell. And that's all tolerance could have offered. But God saw us in our sin and said, I love you so much, I'll send my son to die in your place and I'll fix your problem. I mean, we have the option to spend eternity in heaven because it's, he's a God of love, not tolerance. Tell me which one sits then at the top of the virtue scale. Tolerance overlooks sin, it leaves it in place, and no matter how eternal the consequences, tolerance just allows you to stay where you are, but love refuses to let sin remain, and instead it does what can provide a solution. See, both accept the sinner. Okay, understand what I mean by that. Both accept the sinner. Both, both accept, but one refuses to let the sinner stay in the condition that, that they're in. And we've, we've got to get to the place where this impacts our ministry philosophy and our personal lives. Where, where it's, it's, I'm telling you, it is easier to be tolerant, isn't it? It's easier to just kind of turn away. I, but I think about the lost. I think about our community. Think about the people we work around. I mean, if God, if God treated us like we treat our, our fellow employees who we know that they're not on their way to heaven. We know that they're not uh, a child of God. We know that they're not redeemed and, and yet we're tolerant of their position because we want, maybe want to be accepted or we don't want to rock the boat. Well, I mean, it's okay to love the sinner, but, but true love at some point will gently but confrontationally deal with the sin of the sinner. We've got to learn at some point. We're, at some point, hey, you're at your workplace, you may be the only one. At some point, you're going to have to have the courage 
to show godly biblical love to the person that sits next to you or works next to you. You may be the one hope that they have to understand what biblical love really looks like. And this is how God loved us. It's not touchy-feely. It's not syrupy and mushy and emotional and shallow and somebody, like somebody loves their cat. No, it's, 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 it's not also, on the other hand, not tolerating sin because we make allowances for personal choices. No, agape accepts sinners without tolerating sin. And by the way, there's a balance. It's not just about confronting every time somebody does something wrong. I mean, why? I mean, how could we expect anything different from somebody who's who's not a child of God? I mean, it, you know, we have to be careful about coming at people in a way that doesn't exhibit the spirit of Christ as well. We we can't expect them to have all their ducks in a row if they're if they're not a child of God. Um, but the point is, though, that when the time arises and when the Holy Spirit prompts you and you've got an opening, you must be be willing to deal with sin. I also think about, I mean, there's all kinds of examples. I think about parenting. You know, our children, they need love, not toleration. I mean, I, I think that we parents can be guilty of overlooking ob- the obvious sins sometimes in our, in our children. And, and, and yet, there's, do you know that you are the one as the parent that is primarily responsible for dealing with the sin that you see in your child's life? You know, sometimes, if you think about, you know, in the youth group, sometimes we think, well, you know, it's the youth pastor's job to fix my kids. And uh, Brother Samuel, he's got it. I mean, he's got his hands full already with Brielle. I mean, he doesn't have. No, I mean, Brother Samuel's doing a good job and Brielle's doing a good job with with these teens. But let's 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 do the math. Um. I mean, you're talking two, three, maybe four hours a week that Brother Samuel and Miss Brill are around your children, maybe five or six if there's outreach on Saturdays um, compared to the rest of the hours of the week that you have them at home. And so if you're expecting uh, a youth pastor and his wife to overcome the influence in your home the rest of the week, then you're, you're probably going to be sorely disappointed. It is a parent's responsibility. God gave children to parents. And, and Brother Samuel, you know, and, and we see there, there are certain attitudes we, you know, we see when we take him to camp. And Brother Samuel sees in class sometimes or when they sit and they're, it may be if they're not paying attention or, or whatever. Unless we can try to confront that. He can try to help with that. But it's your responsibility, dads. And you have to love your children enough to not just excuse what they're, what they're doing and let them just keep going the direction they're going and expect somebody else to step in and fix them. No, it is your responsibility, especially dads tonight. You know, and sometimes I, I, I watch them and sit over here and watch them have, you know, messing around or whatever, you know, they're doing at times. And I think, you know, a dad should be aware enough to know that stuff is happening. You know, and we can help them with that. But, but I'm telling you this too. We don't just want to be tattletales. And every time we see it come to you, I'd rather talk to them directly. But, but they're, you know, I think we've gotten to a point sometimes where, where there's a certain attitude going on. And, and they're not taking things seriously. A dad ought to notice that. It is, it, and, and I know that's confrontational. Um, but I hope that you understand my heart is that your child turns out the absolute best they can. And, and it's, uh, it, is, it is in the heart of this pastor to help you do that. 
because I want them to turn out right. I want them to grow up and love and serve God with all their hearts and be useful for God. And, and yet some dads need to step up in, in some ways and help their boys and help their daughters. And, and you know, I, I think about when our kids were little, you know, there are some times where there's this, this even with a toddler, there's a spirit of rebellion and people laugh it off. You know, like it's cute. That's not cute. You know, so don't let them do that. Even when they're little, um, don't let them be the ones that get to call the shots in your home. Uh, a two-year-old that weighs 30 pounds shouldn't control a 200-pound dad. You know, yet sometimes it happens in homes. You know, it's not, it's not cute. And it, you are, what you're doing is training them when they're young to have the same spirit when they're 16. But when they have a driver's license and a car, you're not going to have the same control. And, and you might regret, you know, how you train them when you're little. So help them out. Listen, this, so I know that's meddling and sometimes that happens. Um, but it's, but listen, it's because this heart, the heart of this pastor has the mindset that says, I want to be a church uh, and, and families that are about love, not tolerance. Because love says, I want what's best. Tolerance says, we'll let you stay where you are. Now, listen, sometimes somebody gets saved and they're new and you, they have to grow. You know, they've got to get there. And there are some things that will allow in someone that just got saved um, that if you've been saved for 30 years, you probably ought to have worked past that already. And we'll allow people to grow, but the mindset should be we want what's best. Love seeks what's best. Tolerance will just kind of overlook it. And as a church and as families and as as friends, you know, I, the friends that mean the most to me in my life are the ones that know I've got something and they've told me at times in my life, hey, listen, this is something I think you should work on. And I don't like it. I mean, does anybody like to be told of, about a weakness or something that in their life? I don't like it either. I've got friends that do that for me, though. And I'm telling you, it's, you're better off with a friend that'll that'll love you biblically than one that just tolerates your mistakes and your shortcomings and your weaknesses and never says anything to you. And then at the end of it, you're thinking, why why didn't anybody tell me? I mean, this big chunk of food right here. You ever gone through a a dinner or a meal? My wife, I'm going to tell on her. When we got engaged, we we went out to eat with this couple there in Oklahoma before we got married and and, uh, man, I, I got into the car after the meal, looked in the mirror, and I said, what? Why didn't you tell me? And she was like, I didn't notice. I think she noticed, and she was just not brave enough to tell me. And I was like, you don't love me. No, just kidding. I didn't say that. You know, but we, we do have to, I mean, that's love. And if we're a family, which we are, and we want what's best for each other, then love should be our motto, not tolerance. And, and, and we're not just seeking to overlook and accept people where they are, but we want them to get where God wants them to be. Right. And love, not tolerance. Let's say it together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.